Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Slavery chained and broke at last, broke at last, broke at last. Slavery chained and broke at last, gonna praise God till I die. Slavery chained and broke at last, broke at last, broke at last. Slavery chained and broke at last, gonna praise God till I die. Good evening. Thank you, Bernice Bennett, for inviting us to be on your blog talk show tonight. My name is Agena Kason Rogers, a native of Roanoke, Virginia, and a Virginian through and through, and I've been a public history interpreter for over 30 years. I found my passion in interpreting the African-American experience. I'm also a proud descendant of Washington and Martha Ann Fields, the family whom you will hear about today through their son, James Apostles Fields. I now live in Hanover County, Virginia, where the family originated. And I'm Drusilla Pear, also known to the online world as Professor Drew. And I'm a native of Newport News, Virginia. And I'm also a genealogy researcher. And I am not a Fields descendant. However, I have adopted the Fields family as one of my own uh, through meeting Gregory Cherry, who in the year 2000, restored the Fields House, and we'll talk more about Greg later. And so in 2006, I heard him speak about his journey of uh, acquiring and restoring the James A. Fields House, and I was mesmerized just by his story. In 2007, he passed, and it was at that time, after that time, I became involved with the Fields House. So tonight, we bring to you Flight to Freedom, The Fields Family and Freedom's Fortress. Flight to Freedom is a dramatic interpretation of one family's escape from enslavement in Hanover County, Virginia, to freedom at Fort Monroe. This story is told through dramatic reading and song. As you listen to our performance tonight, keep in mind this question. What would you risk to gain freedom for your family? At Fort Monroe, located in Hampton, Virginia, the story of the African-American experience in North America spans over 400 years, four centuries. Tonight, we draw attention to the period in history when Fort Monroe stood as a beacon of freedom for thousands of slaves. As the Civil War raged around them, these freedom seekers, at great risk, freed themselves and made a long often dangerous journeys to reach what they came to call Freedom's Fortress. In May of 1861, U.S. General Benjamin Butler made it a policy that any slave who came into Fort Monroe would be considered contraband of war and granted refuge. Thousands flocked to the fort's gates, men, women, and children, seeking to sleep upon free soil with the flag of freedom floating over them for the first time in their lives. However, getting to Fort Monroe was often a long and dangerous journey, which was not to be undertaken lightly. Agena and I are going to share with you tonight the story of how during three separate escapes, Washington and Martha Ann and their children fled from enslavement in Hanover County, Virginia just 15 miles north of Richmond, Virginia, which during the Civil War was the capital of the Confederacy, and on to freedom at Fort Monroe, nearly 90 miles away in Hampton, Virginia. Their story is so incredible, you might think it was fiction, but it is all true. How do I know? Because it is the story of my ancestors, Martha Ann and Washington Fields 
their sons, James and George Washington Fields, and their eight other children. Drusilla and I are here to share their dramatic tale. Running away was hard and dangerous and not to be undertaken lightly. What were the reasons for escaping? Who escaped? How did they escape? And what did they endure? Those who escaped were of all different ages and genders and from all parts of the country. Usually, however, they were young men in the prime of life who, during slavery, learned the lay of the land and knew a network of people. They could travel far and fast and for long periods of time. Yet women, with their children, and older individuals escaped too, willing to face the risk of capture and the strain of traveling long distances through dangerous territory. You're probably familiar with stories of the Underground Railroad, a symbolic term for the informal network of safe houses and routes that enslaved black Americans took in their bid for freedom. The National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, estimates that during the 1800s, more than 100,000 enslaved people became fugitives, freedom seekers, on the Underground Railroad. The accounts that are most familiar to us tell of slaves escaping north to Canada or to the northern states. Yet, freedom seekers also ran south across the border to Spanish-held Florida or Mexico, to the Indian nations, or, or even just into the woods or into the neighboring counties. They traveled on foot, used waterways, horses, wagons, or even trains to escape. Knowledge of escape routes was passed by word of mouth, with some slaves planning their escape for months or even years. The decision to run was usually made under difficult circumstances, when the conditions of enslavement became too great to endure, or when they simply reached a point where they could no longer tolerate the treatment they were taking. In spite of knowing the difficulties, the freedom seeker believed that life in slavery was much worse than any hardship encountered in an effort to gain freedom. Such was the situation for James Apostle Fields sometime in the fall of 1861 in a small cabin in Hanover County. His mother, Martha Ann Berkeley Fields, was distraught as her son James, all of 17, contemplated just such a run. With heaven as my witness, I will never... I say never again submit to a human master on this earth. I was cold, and all I did was use a piece of rotten wood from a fence to make a fire to warm me up. And my master got mad and whipped me. Whipped me so bad that I was laid up for weeks. Never again will I stand for the unjust beating by Phil Winston or any other human master. I'm going to leave this place. And if I ever come across Phil Winston again, I'm going to kill him. 17-year-old James Fields moved towards the door of the cabin, carrying a small bundle of items and a gun and a bayonet. Everyone was weeping as they hugged and bid him farewell. Young James made his way towards the woods, peeping around as he walked in a half-stooping posture along the fence. James reached the woods, leaving behind his family and the memories of the brutal and unprovoked beating by his slave master. For Martha Ann, this was just one more loss in a lifetime of losses. James was the fourth of her ten living children, ripped away from her because of slavery. By 1861, Martha Ann knew the sufferings of slavery well. She was born in 1813, the personal property of the Robinson family in Hanover County. At about age 19 or 20, she met and married Washington Fields, a slave on a neighboring plantation. 
Because the young couple belonged to different owners, they were never allowed to live together, but could get travel passes to visit often. Together, they had 11 children. There's John, Robert Tinsley, and Louisa. Matilda, Maria, and James. William, Betty, and Mary. Catherine and George Washington. Now, little Mary died in slavery as an infant, but all the rest of the field's children thrived and grew. Martha Ann loved her children with all the love a mother could have and raised them with a firm but loving hand. Her greatest joy was having her family close in her care. Yet, in a slaveholding society, Martha Ann her husband Washington, and their children were chattel. Nothing more than property to be bought, bartered, sold, and counted as you would count chickens, cattle, sheep, crops, or other commodities. To the most practical slaveholder, every increase in children was an increase in wealth and property to be hired out or sold as they desired. So imagine the grief of Martha Ann as her oldest son, John, was hired out and sent 15 miles south of Hanover to Richmond. And imagine this mother's grief as her second son, Robert Tinsley, was sold into neighboring King and Queen County. As a result of these two losses, Martha Ann became determined that she would do whatever she had in her power not to suffer such grief again. Incredibly, she got a promise from her elderly mistress, Miss Robinson, that she would never again have one of her children sold. Miss Robinson even promised Martha Ann that her whole family would be treated kindly. It's a testament to Martha Ann that her mistress agreed to, a prom- to this promise and faithfully kept it so long as she lived. You see, another curse of the slaves is that they can in no way control their own destiny. Death of a master or mistress, debt, or even a change of heart or whim can overturn any promises. Her kind mistress grew old, and so Martha Ann and her family were passed on to a new mistress, a niece of Miss Robinson's named Catherine Berkeley. Miss Catherine, for a time, upheld the promise of good treatment for Martha Ann and her growing family, and Martha Ann thought her worries were over. But in December 1849, all of Martha Ann's circumstances changed when Miss Catherine married Philip Henry Winston. Phil Winston had a reputation for being a cruel master, and his treatment of the slaves was described in the memoirs of Martha Ann's youngest son, George, as monstrous, and no cruelty being too severe to be inflicted upon the helpless and defenseless slave. Catherine, who was now Mrs. Winston, proved herself to be a heartless and brutal woman, promised to her dying aunt, and Martha Ann meant little. Miss Catherine did not hesitate to inflict relentless cruelty on the field's children and on Martha Ann herself. If Martha Ann ventured, as she sometimes would, to remind Miss Catherine of her promise, the answer received was, you're a nigger, and you and your children. If you don't believe me, go look in the glass. So life, in a swift instant, turned dramatically for the Fields family. First, Phil Winston moved Martha Ann and her children to his family plantation at Blenheim, which was still close by. Washington Fields could still easily visit his family. But in 1856, Master Phil bought a farm and a tavern at Hanover Courthouse and moved everyone in his household. Washington Fields now had to travel eight miles to visit his family. Martha Ann became cook. The boys worked as field hands and tended horses for the lawyers and hotel guests. And the girls, who were old enough, worked in the great house which they called the home where their master and mistress lived. Work became harder and punishment more frequent. Once Martha Ann was whipped severely in front of her children, 
and all of the other slaves for overcooking a wild bird her master had caught. Yet, the driver's last she could bear. Another more burdensome trouble soon would, be, soon would come when Martha Ann's daughter Louisa was sold to a Georgia slave trader so that her, her slave master could get money to buy a horse and carriage for his wife Catherine. Years later, George Washington Fields would, would recall the tree stump located on the Hanover Courthouse grounds that served as an auction block and the auctioneer crying, sold. Moments later, his sister was carried away by a slave trader down to Georgia. Once again, his mother suffered intense anguish and heartache as the forlorn hope to which she had clung, the hope of keeping her children together, vanished. Miss Catherine, you said you would never sell any of my children. You're nothing but a nigger. Heirs, I'll make your master slash your back. That was the only comfort she received in her sorrow. And for nearly six months, she was on the verge of insanity. I'm troubled. I'm troubled. I'm troubled in mind. If Jesus don't help me, I surely night and day. And on Sundays she went into the woods and with strong crying and tears besought the Lord to help her carry her burden. At last, one Sunday, Martha Ann came out of the woods laughing and said, Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord, I hear you, Lord. But Lord has told me that I shall see my daughter Louisa again and that I and all my children shall be free. In dark days of bondage, to Jesus I prayed to help me to bear it, and he gave his aid. I'm troubled, I'm troubled, I'm troubled in mind, but my Jesus will help me. I surely will not die. Her confidence and her vision carried her forward even as the Civil War came to handle the county. When the war broke out in 1861, rumors circulated among the slaves that the Union Army was coming to set them free. 
To crush this notion, Phil Winston promised good treatment to his slaves if they remained loyal and protected him and his family from the marauding Yankees. For a short time, he kept his promise, and the slaves kept theirs. Only two sought to run away from McClellan's army after the Battle of Hanover Courthouse in 1862. But rather than reward them for their loyalty, Winston returned to his old-time cruelty and oppression, vowing to beat out of them any ideas of going to the Yankees. They came to regret their pledge of loyalty. Slaves, like young James A. Fields, took to the woods, looking to get to the Union lines. Martha Ann, though longing for freedom herself, would not go without her children. When the Yankees came near enough once more for her to reach them with her little ones, she would go, and nothing would keep her. Her mistress had lied to her twice, and her master once, and she owed no loyalty to them. Oh, freedom. freedom. Oh, freedom, oh, freedom over me, and before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave, and go home to my Lord and be free. However, things got worse. Unexpectedly, Master Field suddenly took sick and died in June 1863. The whole estate was thrown into turmoil. Martha Ann and the children were to be sold at auction with other goods and chattel. Once on the auction block, Martha Ann's dream of freedom and reunion with her children and husband would be shattered. Oh, what an anxious time. But Martha Ann kept still and her prayers were answered in due time. Two weeks before the auction was to take place, a troop of Union cavalry and infantry dropped down on Hanover Courthouse. A boarder at the tavern, Martha White, said, the road was blue with them. Martha Ann seized this opportunity to escape. Immediately, she gathered up her six children, aged five to 20, and infant grandson, and prepared them for the journey. Each was given something from the household to carry. Everything else in the house was destroyed. Then, marshalling her children before her and bringing along another young man, Madison Lewis, her future son-in-law, Martha Ann put them in a line and marched out. The mistress called out to her as she passed along. Martha Ann! Are you going to leave me and take all the children, too? Yes. Yes, yes. You lied to me twice, and you'll never have the chance to do it again. Martha, don't leave me. Martha, don't leave me. Come on, children. Martha, don't leave me. No more options for me. No more. No more. No more auctions are for me, many thousand gone. No more missus call for me, no more, no more. No more missus call for me, many thousand gone. Anne, with her children, marched on after the Union Army and towards freedom. The journey was not easy. The skirmish at Hanover County Courthouse had occurred in the morning, but it had taken Martha Ann all day to prepare her family to leave. As a result, when her family finally reached the Little Pages Bridge, which would take them across the Pamunkey to Union Lines and Freedom, they found it in flames. The Federal troops were moving away quickly on the other side, and the Confederate troops were at their back. Only temporarily shaken, Martha Ann said, Come on, children, and marched them along the riverbank and through muddy fields and swamp four miles to Broadneck Plantation, where a distant relative, John Thornton, had a little boat that could ferry them across the Pamunkey River. 
The boat was just big enough to carry him and one child over at a time. By this time, it was nightfall, and silently in the darkness, Uncle John crossed the river back and forth, carrying the family one by one, bringing the mother last with her youngest in her arms. Safe at last on the northern side of the river, they could see the campfires of the Union Army four miles away. They dared not approach the camp at night for fear of being shot and lay low and quiet in the wet fields until daybreak. Then Martha Ann said, come on, children, and off they took. They reached the camp as the last wagon was heading out. They put up such a commotion that the wagon stopped. So we want to go to freedom. You can't take all those children with you, old woman. I can, or I don't go at all. I brought my children thus far, and the rest of the journey will be easy for them. Hmm. It took the family two days to reach the gates of Fortress Monroe. The first day they traveled 30 miles to White House Landing in New Kent County. The women rode on the baggage wagon, and the boys walked alongside. The next day, they joined a flotilla of barges loaded with other contraband slaves traveling down the York River. The family got quite a scare when the chain tying their barge to the rest of the flotilla broke. They began drifting back towards the rebel gunboats and were not far upriver. Such wailing and praying and weeping you heard not out of fear of drowning, back into slavery when they were so close to getting freedom. They were soon missed, and a tugboat sent for them towed them along, passing the boat from which they had broken off. A cry of great joy went up when everyone, from everyone when they passed the first Union gunboat, and a greater cry was heard when they unloaded at Fortress Monroe. Free at last. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Martha Ann remembered her vision of having all her family gathered around her. She settled her family and set about preparing a place for the rest to come and join them. She took in laundry, raised chickens and pigs, and added to her savings to buy land. Others laughed. Martha Ann, where fur you want to buy land? The government's going to give us land by and by. When the government gives me land, I'll have that too. Children worked too, and those that were old enough attended the Butler School. So things went on for about a year. At last, one bright May morning in 1864, James, who had run away before the family escaped, showed up at his mother's house. It had been a long time since the family had heard from James after his escape from slavery. Oh, the joy of that family reunion. James related his story to all who would listen. Little George? Little George, are you still awake? It's late, little brother. Waiting up for me, huh? Quartermaster kept me late at the fort. Worked me hard today. So weary and bone-tired, I can't wait to get to bed myself. You should be asleep like William and the others. What? You stayed awake to hear my story again. What story? Oh, that story. How I escaped overseer and made my way to freedom? You've heard it a hundred times already but I guess one more time won't hurt, long as Mother don't catch us. Now, you settle down under the covers, and I'll tell it to you. Now, I know you remember clear that night I struck off into the woods. 
I vowed never to submit to a human master and that I would kill Master Phil. Slavery was more than I could bear, so I ran. But what you don't know is when I first escaped, I stayed close by out in the woods. And Mother helped me, bringing food to me, sometimes bringing me in late at night to the cabin to warm up. But I had to be careful not to wake anyone. She helped me and other runaways that way, too, doing what she could at great risk to herself. So I lived four or five months that way, but Master Phil wanted me back something fierce. Had paddy rollers out there, and they were getting close. Sound is still in my ears today of those vicious bloodhounds barking every day and night on the trail of this poor runaway slave. <laughs> I couldn't stay anymore. Had to get to safer ground or face terrible torture if I got caught. So I made up my mind. I came to the cabin one last time to say goodbye. That time I woke everybody up and I I remember you looking up at me, all sad. But it was so hard to go, but I had to. And so that very night, I started making my way to Richmond, to Brother John's house, going 15 miles through the fields and the woods. Couldn't take the main roads, fear of the capture. But soon I made it to John's house in the city. Now, you know, remember John, he had a good master. Master, his master looked the other way when an extra hand showed up on the docks with John on his crew. But I still had to be careful, keep my head down low. So I knew Master Phil was bent on getting his property back. He offered rewards and detectives and put to work out in Richmond looking for me. I had to learn not to react when somebody called James. Learn not to flinch when slave-catching detectives came to the dock. But, George, no matter how careful you be, it means nothing when somebody's bound and determined to get you. I did manage to live this way, keeping my head down low for some six months. But then I got caught. I don't know what happened. I was just working along. Then these hands grabbed me, wrestled me down, and the agents dragged me to the slave jail and then sent word to Master Phil that they'd found their prize. George, I hope you never, ever see the inside of one of those jails. It was the most awful place. The weeping and the wailing and the stench and the despair. And the worst part for me was being shackled in that cell, my freedom gone, wondering and imagining my fate. Soon after that, not too long, the jailer turned me over to Overseer, who'd come from the courthouse to take me back to Master Phil. He took my legs and tied them firmly with a rope, put handcuffs on my wrist, tied me up like I was an animal. Then off we set. The hour was late when we started out from Richmond. And it was very slow going. The roads were bad and it was cold. You remember how cold it was that November, December, 62? It was so, so cold. And soon we realized, Overseer realized, that we weren't going to get the Master Seals that night. So he concluded to stop at a tavern about halfway between Richmond and my master's house, the Mary Oaks Tavern. And on arriving... Overseer untied the rope from my legs. He thought he was being kind. He led me to the office where there was a stove and sat me in the chair. And then he tied my legs to its rounds, left and went into the room next to us, to it, and fell asleep. <clears throat> but during the night, a girl whose business it was to look after the fire came in. She looked at me, and I looked at her. I beckoned as best I could to show how uncomfortable I was and to beckon and beg her to untie my legs. And this she did. She loosened up the ropes and then went on about her business. 
but I it was just enough for me to work those ropes loose. And then I slowly got up from the chair, crept to the door, and turned the latch. And sure as you please, I walked out, got right to the edge of the woods, and then ran as fast into the woods as a man can run, handcuffed. Fast as I could go through the woods and fields, I ran towards Peak Station. I was running for my life, little George, running for my life. And as I ran, I I heard a sound behind me. I I couldn't shake it. I imagined it was Overseer, woke up, coming after me, close on my heels. I ran harder, harder, and the sound got closer and closer. And finally I stopped and I said, get back. Come any closer. I'll kill you. I wasn't fit to kill nobody, little George. <laughs> Fell out right on the spot. Curious thing, though, when I stopped, the noise stopped. Turned out it was the bit of rope that I couldn't get loose, dragging behind me the whole time. <laughs> I was too tired to laugh at myself. I rested right where I lay. And then once I was refreshed, I made my way to the old Talaferro place. Got one of them to, one of the slaves to cut off the cuffs. And from them, I heard that the Yankees were just across the river in King William County, and I was determined to get to them. Now, a blinding snowstorm had whipped up by that time, but I still set off again to the fields and woods, keeping from the main road so I wouldn't get caught. But don't you know, I ran smack into a picket of rebels, a hornet's nest of them. They called halt. But of course, I didn't stop. I broke and ran, and they were pursuing, and suddenly I found myself on the brink of the monkey. I plunged in, swam across. Oh, that river was chilly and cold. The rebels fired two shots, but missed, and I made it to the other side. I came out in my clothes. They were frozen stiff upon my body. But soon I made my way to, to Daniel's home. Gave him, gave me shelter and a change of clothes while mine dried by the log fire. About daybreak, Daniel and I both set out to find the Yankees, determined to find our freedom. And after traveling all day, in the far distance, we saw campfires burning and heard the bugle blow. We walked hurriedly on, and soon we were in the Yankee camp. The officers received us kindly and requested that I be a guide, which I accepted, since I knew all of Hanover and the adjoining counties. And so I stayed with the Army as scout and guide until I heard that Master Phil was dead and you and the family had made it to Hampton. It took a while, but as soon as I could, I made my way here and back to my family. Never, I say never, to suffer the pain of slavery again. A week or two later, one more member of the Fields family showed up. On June 11th, Washington Fields, the husband and father, came in after a long and dangerous journey. On the live of June 1864, I arrived at Fortress Monroe after a long and dangerous journey from Hanover County. My wife Martha Ann and our children belonged to a different slave master than me. By the time I arrived at Fortress Monroe, my wife and some of our children were already settled in the area. because they escaped slavery from Hanover the year before I got there. Three of our children, Louisa, John, and Tinsley, still in slavery. But thank the Lord our boy James escaped on his own before the rest of the family. By six before, fighting from the Civil War was real heated up in Hanover, and us slaves helped our master Taylor pack up and leave before the enemy got to our plantation in Taylorsville. Well, 
Master Tilly's enemy was not the same as my enemy. <laughs> well, anyways, Taylorsville, you see, was a hamlet in Hanover County. Master Taylor decided to take us slaves with him to escape to rebel lines. After the last load of goods left the great house and all of us were on our way towards the closest rebel lines, somebody remembered that something was forgotten, and so I was sent back to the house to fetch it. You see, I was a blacksmith, which was a respected and trusted position on the plantation, and I was used to being sent out alone to do something. Master Taylor and the missus trusted me because I always came back. During my journey to fetch the forgotten things from the great house, I asked myself, Washington, reckon you ought to return to Master Taylor? Ain't nobody ran here to stop you. This here's your chance to escape to freedom like everybody else been doing for a few years now. This here, I told myself, is your chance to find your wife insurance. And so instead of returning to Master Taylor and the others, I took the high road to freedom. On my dangerous journey, I forded rivers, crossed swamps, was shot at by both Yankees and rebel soldiers. But at last, I say at last, thank you, Lordy, at last I made my way safely to the Yankee lines. Later, I was sent on to Fortress Monroe, and there I found my wife and children and a home waiting for me. Found steady work at Fort Monroe, too. You know, I've been doing work all my life during slavery times, but this steady work I got during freedom was different. For this steady work, I was paid, and got to keep my own money, well, sort of keep it for myself. <laughs> Had to give it to the wife and to wife to keep for the family. She said she was going to use my money to buy property for the family. Well, all men know a woman knows this. <laughs> but it was still our money. And so now I, Washington Fields, who was born into slavery over 49 years ago, have a taste of freedom. And now I truly understand what I've been hearing the white folks singing about all these years. My country tears of thee, sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every, every mountainside, Lord, have mercy. Let freedom, let freedom ring. And what about the fate of the remaining field children? John, Robert Tinsley, and Louisa. As soon as the war ended, the two oldest sons, John and Tinsley, rejoined their parents from whom they had been sold in early boyhood. And last of all, Louisa, who had been sold into Georgia, was heard from, written to, and brought home to Hampton. Thus, the promise made to Martha Ann so many years before, when in the depths of her grief she had seen the Lord in the still Sabbath woods, was at last fulfilled, and she gathered her dear ones about her in her own home, content with work and sacrifice, since hereafter no master but the Lord himself could separate them. You know what, Regina? This is such an inspirational story. I can imagine after going through all of these trials and tribulations, that Martha Ann spent the rest of her life sharing her testimony about how the Lord delivered her from slavery. 
and how he kept his promise in, keep, in putting her family back together after slavery ended. I know that she could relate to the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Surely she understood this songwriter's lyrics would say, when peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I can just picture Martha Ann walking about sharing her story to anyone who would listen and telling everyone how the Lord told her that her family would be put back together. Just like the hymn writer Fanny J. Crosby knew about God's blessed assurance, I know Martha Ann did too. This is my story, she probably sang or thought. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior all the day long. Surely, surely you're right, Drew. But one thing we do know from George Washington Fields' writing is what he said his, his family sang when they all got together. And that song was Slavery Chains Done Broke at Last. Liberty, tell everybody Slavery Chains Done Broke at Last.
And since that time, we've performed at the College of William & Mary in Williamsburg. We've performed at the Hanover Tavern, the Hampton History Museum, and now on Blog Talk Radio. And so we'd like to thank Bernice for the invitation. And we'd like to give a thank you to others, which some of them have already been mentioned, but for George, to George Washington Fields for taking the time to write Come On Children. We appreciate that because that is part of the basis of, of our story. We'd like to also thank, thank uh, Mrs. Sandage Evans, who was called Sis Evans, and she died in the 1980s, but she is the one who typed the diary from the original manuscript. She was a friend of George Washington Field's daughter, Inez, and we uncovered a letter where Sis Evans wrote in 1972 where she said that she was the one, you know, they were discussing the diary and discussing various things related to the diary, possibly making it into a movie, publishing, and so forth. To our knowledge, none of those things happened, but she confessed to typing the diary. And when I met her daughter uh, shortly after I found the diary and I described the type of paper that the diary was typed on, which was like a bond paper, and she said, oh, my mom probably, probably typed that because she was always typing. And later on, I uncovered the letter signed by her mother which, in which she said that she typed the diary. And so Sis Evans was part of a, an organization, a historical organization here in the Hampton Roads area. And she uh, mailed the typed document to the historic, that historical, size, historical society. And I believe that's the one that has, is housed in the Hampton History Museum. I'd like to thank uh, Ms. Alice Bacon, who was a faculty member at Hampton Institute under General Armstrong. And she, uh, when Martha Ann passed, she interviewed the Fields children, and she was so impressed with the story of this family that she wrote in two, a two-part article in The Southern Workman about the life of this great woman. And we'd like to thank Greg Cherry, who, who has gone on, but who who he was not a field descendant like I. He was a native of Newport News like I. And for his passion of spreading the word about the Fields family during his lifetime for, for purchasing and restoring the house, the house was slated to be torn down by the city of Newport News. But Greg Cherry, when he returned back to Newport News after some time away uh, of being in the military, and he and his brother were walking down the street through their old neighborhood, and they passed the Fields house and other houses that were slated to be torn down. And when his brother filled him in on the history of what was going on in the community and they got to what we now know as the Fields house, something in him rose up that this could not happen because what he knew at the time that that house was the first black hospital in the city of Newport News, the first hospital for black residents. And so he appealed to city council for three years, three long years, to not tear this house down and that he would take responsibility to, um, you know, restore this house, in which he did. He went into debt with government loans and, and those types of things, and he restored the house. And after his passing, his wife, Sandra, is still carrying on his work. And we would also like to thank Professor uh, Kevin Claremont from Cornell University, who he also discovered George Washington Fields and the Fields family in a roundabout way with discovering uh, the thesis of George Washington Fields, who was a, uh, a graduate of Cornell University in, in the School of Law. And so he has written a book uh, about George Washington Fields and the Fields family. And we'd like to thank our numerous supporters in the Hampton Roads and Richmond, Hanover area, and to those of our online friends who have been supportive of us. And so for those of you who um, out, out there um, who may be visiting, at some point visiting Virginia, visiting the Hampton Roads area, which we're uh, in Newport News, we're uh, not far, probably about a half an hour away from Virginia Beach, about a half an hour or so for, uh, from Williamsburg, Colonial Williamsburg, we're near the water, 
stop by and visit the Fields House. We encourage you to do that. And when you're in the area, make an appointment to visit this, this great house. And so finally, with Regina and I, since we have met in January um, 2012, we have been joined forces together to uncover her family's story. As a genealogist, I discovered the story earlier, and I began to research this family. But when we joined forces, uh, one of the things we decided to do was to um, submit a, a nomination to the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom Program that's part of the National Park Services. And so after a long and overwhelming research and writing process, which took us two years to complete, I am pleased to announce that the James A. Fields House has been accepted into the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom program of the National Park Service. And we thank you listeners out there. And so if Bernice will open up the line, if there are any questions, we will entertain questions. Well, applause to you two for this magnificent uh, live reenactment tonight. It's very, very moving, and I certainly want to just Thank you for bringing your show to Blog Talk Radio. For those who would like to ask a question or make a comment, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Now, there is a question in the chat while we're waiting for some of you to call in. Which one of the Phil's children does Agena descend from? Okay, I, I this is Agena, and I descend from James Apostles Fields. So he he is my great great grandfather, and his uh, granddaughter, my grandmother Martha uh, Margaret Fields Johnson, as I mentioned, uh, will be turning a hundred years old next week. And so I was able to talk with her uh, about her memories of James Fields or her memories of, of growing up in the Fields house and her memories of talking with James's brother, uh, George, just calls him Uncle George, and his wife, Aunt Sally, and um, his daughter, Cousin Inez. So she, they, she was very familiar with them, um, not like they were famous people. They were just her relatives. So it's been interesting to be able to look at it from her perspective and then also from a historical perspective. Well, I can imagine. And so happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> next week, yeah, 100 it. years old. So just let her know she has a big happy birthday from all of us from Research at the National Archives and beyond and the chatters and everyone else. Uh, where is Miss Martha buried? She's buried in... Um, Hampton, Virginia. Um, I think the cemetery is Elmerton, which uh, in which quite a few contraband were 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 buried there. Those who ex- others who escaped from to Fort Monroe, uh, quite a few of them are, are buried there. Some of you may be familiar with Mary Peak, who was uh, a free woman of color and who uh, was a teacher of uh, a lot of the escaped slaves. Uh, she's also buried there. So several so members that, of the that, field so family. That's just, uh, the cemetery is not that far from Hampton University. It's kind of like in the downtown Hampton area. Right. Right. Street. right. Well, there's another question coming out. Does she have a marker? Is there some uh, way to identify where her burial site is located? Yes, both she and her husband have a marker, and you can you can see it on Find a Grave. George Washington Fields and his wife are buried there too and several other members of the Fields family. And then there's a historical marker for Emerton, Emerton Cemetery uh, to uh, for Mary Peak. And so the cemetery lately has been pretty well kept, so it's fairly easy to find. Um, it's met a better fate than some of the uh, historically black cemeteries have. 
Okay, and there's another question coming out. Is that cemetery, is that the cemetery that you can see from the highway? Yes. Yes. And how long, I mean, you talked about your research, you went through deeds and what have you, but how long did it take you just to gather all of this information? Well, some of it I had already started gathering when I first started. Uh, I think it was like around 2008 when I first started researching on my own. And so by the time Agena uh, joined me in 2012, we started with what I had, and then we decided to uh, do the nomination. Initially, I was going to do a separate nomination myself, but and then found out she was doing one, so we decided to join forces and do just one nomination. So we started with the things I had gathered, and because w- with the nomination there's specific questions that you have to answer, we had to uh, dig up other evidence to support our argument of why the, uh, James A. Fields House should be included in this network, which has to be associated, to be a part of the network, it has to be associated with, with slavery and emancipation. And so um, so we we found uh, you know through deeds uh, through pretty much since we lived I live in the Hampton Roads area she lives in the county where they were enslaved we were able to divide the work up with as far as with the research and sometimes we would get together face to face to work on it like at the Library of Virginia in Richmond and one of the key pieces of evidence that was found was uh, by Selma Stewart and um, hopefully she's in the room she is the genealogy president of, of my chapter. Uh, she found she looked at um, um, Freeman's Bureau records online that's related to James A. Fields, and that those records ended up being key a key piece of evidence, along with the other things we had, which documented his that he was uh, free before the end of the Civil War. He had come to uh, had come to uh, Fort Monroe in May mm-hmm. of 1864, which is what his brother said, and which is what uh, Miss Bacon also said. So we were working for the quartermaster's department, right? So we had we had um, firm records, evidence from that period of time that lined up correctly with the stories that we had had heard. Because for my family, we had just passed down and that all the successes that he had achieved after slavery, becoming a lawyer, um, teacher, being a, a politician one of the last during the Reconstruction era to be a member of the House of Delegates, those kinds of things. But we hadn't known very much at all about his escape from slavery. So mm-hmm. this, uh, finding the the story of, of the memoirs written by George Washington Fields and just digging down deep and finding the Bacon um, account helped expand what my family knew. And, and then we chose to, Drusilla and I chose to dramatize it so that we could bring the story out to others. Why? And how did the people in in Hanover, where, where all of this started, uh, how did they respond to the play as well as people in the local community? Well, they folks were in Hanover very pretty excited, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're very excited to find out more details and um, have like, at the Hanover Tavern, which is now a historic uh, site, uh, they have incorporated Martha Ann's story into their educational programs. And so we're we're starting to work with them. It's, again, it's a story that hadn't been told from that perspective. It had been told from, from other sides, but not from the perspective of the enslaved. So, you know, there's, there's just more information coming out, um, um, other memoirs about people who were living in Hanover County, and it's really neat to see how they uh, support each other, uh, those stories. Yes. yes. Right. Now, right. how can, can individuals with connect with you all? Sure. Pardon me? Yes, go ahead on. Oh, okay. I was going to just interject with the reception at Hanover when we presented the story, just as, as you heard. Uh, they were extremely receptive, you know, to our surprise. We weren't sure how they were going to take it, but they were very receptive. Uh, when we do the live performance with the music and so forth, we do hand movements and, you know, we make it more interactive and everybody participated. 
we had standing room only, and some of you have seen the pictures of, of Hanover. We were in the room we were in. We had standing room only, literally. People were standing, you know, at the doors and so forth, and they stayed through the whole presentation. And so um, an outgrowth of, of that is that future partnerships with us and with our us, our story, and Agena mentioned them incorporating the field story. So we have other various things that we're working on now with Hanover to continue with the story and continue getting and, it out there. Right. And when is your next live reenactment? May May six. May six. And where is it? It's, it's actually at Hanover at Hanover Tavern. At, Okay. Well, so, yeah, so we have right. two performances, two additional performances uh, there scheduled okay. already. Well, that is wonderful. One more question: Have any of the descendants of the slaveholders seen the play? Well, uh, to our knowledge, we're not Catholic sure. They have may. children. <laughs> they didn't have children direct, but you know the Winstons there quite a few in you know descendants in Hanover. So with the audience that was there, you know, nobody said that they were descendants, but you know it's it's you know, the Winston family is a large family, so so I guess so to answer that we, in Hanover we County everybody's related directly. to the Winston. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well thank you so much for uh, sharing this story with us, and we're going to end this show tonight with Slavery Chained and Broke at Last so that you can hear this beautiful song one more time. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. Slavery chains unbroke at last, broke at last. Broke at last. Hell, my You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.